Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to this live stream message from the Neighborhood Church. We are still virtual. We are still distributed, but we are still God's people together. Amen? It's good to be with you all in this way. Tonight, we're going to see three big ideas in our ongoing story in the book of Acts. But before we get there and finish out Acts chapter 1, I want to read you a quote from none other than the late, great Mr. Rogers. This is a gift book called The World According to Mr. Rogers, and each page has a quote from everyone's favorite guy in the neighborhood. All right? Here's a quote from Mr. Rogers. Some days, doing the best we can may still fall short of what we would like to be able to do. But life isn't perfect on any front. And listen to this. And doing what we can with what we have is the most we should expect of ourselves or anyone else. Let me read that last part from Mr. Rogers one more time. Doing what we can with what we have is the most we should expect of ourselves or anyone else. That's from Mr. Rogers, and I think it's an appropriate way to begin because in our story this evening, we are going to see the first generation of Jesus' followers doing what they can with what they have. And I want to see their example and focus on three ways that you can do what you can to get just enough light for the next step. I want you to join me in Acts chapter 1. This past week, we celebrated and commemorated the ascension of Jesus. Ascension Day was this past Thursday. And in our story in the book of Acts, Jesus has slipped into God's space and the disciples take a short walk back to a room to be together and they haven't yet received the Holy Spirit. They've spent 40 days with the risen Jesus and he promised that the Spirit would come in just a few days. But they don't know when it will happen. They don't know how it's going to happen. They just trust that it will happen. And they are going to do just enough to get just enough light for the next step. Before the next season of their mission as witnesses of the risen Jesus to everyone everywhere. So we're talking about getting just enough light for your next step. I'm going to give you three big ideas to that end. Let's get back into our story, Acts chapter 1. Jesus has just ascended, and next week is Pentecost Sunday, where we'll commemorate the gift of the Holy Spirit, but not yet. Let's check on them in the in-between time. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. You with me? Y'all ready to rock? Here we go. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. That's about a half mile, 15 minute walk. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Verse 14. 
They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Hey, pause there real quick. Any first or second century hearer of this story would have stopped dead in their tracks. Already, Luke is giving us a clue of this community being a boundary-breaking community. No one would have considered naming women in a generation, in a season where women weren't counted, weren't named, weren't as important. Yet, Luke, who's writing the story of Acts, wants us to see a boundary-breaking community starting to materialize before they go to the ends of the earth and break even more boundaries. Already we've got a clue that there's something different about this community. Let's continue on in our story. They're all up there in that upper room together. Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Hold on to that. And then Peter said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas. David wrote the Psalms that Peter's about to quote. David wrote this concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Then Luke adds this aside in verse 18. With the payment that Judas received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Yikes. Verse 19, everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. There Luke issues this kind of insert to expand on Matthew's account of the suicide of Judas. Verse 20, for, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and... May another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. Remember just a couple days ago? For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Verse 23. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Jesus, Judas left to go to where he belongs. Verse 26. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Now, with their example, and in our situation, what can we do to get just enough light for the next step? Remember, this is after the ascension, yet before the arrival of the Holy Spirit. But there's some things we can see, some things we can do to get just enough light for the next step. 
Your world is turned upside down. The summer and the next season seems uncertain, but I'm here to remind myself and each one of us that there are at least three things we see in this passage that can help us get just enough light for the next step. Now, as crazy as the last several weeks have been for us in our life, I want you to step out of your own story for a moment and consider the seven weeks that these disciples had just lived. To help us get into that story, I've got something again on my little table. (laughs) Amy put this together. Thanks again. Another great illustration from another great uh, mind of my wife. This also is from Pastor Bud, so it was a team effort. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Bud. I've got some water here, and you might notice there's some junk here in the bottom. That's sand. I want you to imagine, if you will, because summer is upon us, that I had scooped this out of the ocean. Now, it probably wouldn't look this settled at the moment if I just scooped it out, right? It would probably look a lot more like this. Y'all see that action? Now, back to the story of this first generation of followers. We've got all the panic and frenzy and the emotional roller coaster of what they had just lived for seven or so weeks. Let's go back in time to Palm Sunday. Jesus is heralded and welcomed by the pilgrims as the king. Hosanna in the highest, the coming kingdom of God. Man, it's all about you, Jesus, and all their expectations of who he ought to be and what he ought to do. Riding into the heart of conflict with the religious and spiritual and political powers of the day. Everybody's amped up and later that week a betrayal. One of Jesus' closest companions and trusted friends, Judas, betrays him for just a few pieces of silver. And his betrayal leads to Jesus' arrest and trial and torture and ultimately crucifixion. And so not quite a week after that triumphal entry, all of a sudden all their expectations that had ridden into town were now buried in a tomb. And then the sickening silence of that Saturday after Good Friday when they could not see the way forward. And then the roller coaster takes a huge turn on Sunday morning when the reports start to filter in that Jesus has been raised. And then they look up and see the risen Jesus. He's eating fish with them. Then he enrolls them in a 40-day cohort a college intensive class on the kingdom of God. And he's calling them witnesses. And he says, we're going to hang out for 40 days. I'm going to go so the Holy Spirit can come. And guess what? It's going to happen in just a few days time. Then he ascends to the right hand of the Father where he's the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. That is a lot of frenzied emotional roller coaster for a few weeks. Am I right? Now, consider where they are emotionally. Consider their commission, where they're called witnesses. They're given a job to do. Consider the temptation it would have been 
to say, that was awesome. Jesus just ascended. He's the reigning Lord. Let's go get work done. But what do they do instead? They do the work before the work begins. They do the work of prayer and stillness. They walk about 15 minutes to the place they were staying, and together they committed to communion with God and community with one another. This is the first big idea to get just enough light for the next step. We need to have an ongoing commitment to communion with God and community. In all of that frenzy, the first thing they did was worship and pray and sit still together. It was out of that communion and community they started to get some clarity. Now, let me ask you a hard question I'm asking myself. If your life in this current moment looks a little like this, I want you to tease out the next six weeks and imagine all things being equal, nothing changing, all things staying the same. How does your life of this look in six weeks' time? Where are you emotionally? Where are you physically? Where are you spiritually? The thing about the human body, the human mind, the human heart, the human soul, is that we weren't designed to live at that pace. God hardwired us to rest and to be still. And it's remarkable that this first generation of followers of Jesus saw Jesus' example, heard the command and call of God to be still and rest, so that in their communion and community, there might be some clarity. Can we see from these disciples permission to take a breath? Your future self will thank you. Your family that you're sheltering in place with will thank you. We have permission. It's not only that we should. The better question is, how will you this week and next? The thing about our church and our core practices, we got to remind each other all the time of that one create space. You with me? At the Neighborhood Church, one of our core practices is to create space for God, communion, and others, community, so that transformational relationships can grow. Relationships take time and attention to grow. Now, we see this community gathered together constantly in what? Prayer. That's the work they were called to do before the work of being witnesses and being on mission. I love this idea of the work before the work because a lot of times you might hear me talk about stillness and think that means inactivity or inattention. 
All stillness and silence is, is a different kind of work. It's a work of creating time, creating space to sit before God, to be still so that he can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We need to create that space because you won't find it. You've got to make it. Martin Luther was quoted as saying, I've got so much work to do that I've got to spend three hours in prayer. Wow. It's the work before the work. This is what the disciples model. Uh, I love what Eugene Peterson says about prayer. It's a soul at attention before God. Just because they're still doesn't mean that there's not work being done. And it's the work of being attentive to God, to listen in, to bring your wants, your worries, to be at attention before God. And notice they were constantly, persistently in prayer. They knew that they had this uncertain season ahead of them. They had a huge job to do. It was bigger than themselves, so they were connecting to a source beyond themselves, a soul at attention before God. But they did it as a community. Friends, church members, brothers and sisters, have you ever thought about why we pray together? We pray together in little spaces like our morning prayer times for our church members on Tuesdays and Fridays. This week, you've got an opportunity, if you're a member of the Neighborhood Church, 8 a.m. on Tuesday, 8 a.m. on Friday. We're going to pray together. Because if prayer, as Eugene Peterson says, is a soul at attention before God, what happens when we add more souls to the mix? Souls at attention together before God. That word, amen, basically is a word for Yes, it's a word for may it be. When you pray and I say amen, I'm joining my soul to your purpose, your want, your will. God, I say yes to this, to be in prayer constantly, continually together is to add an extra log to the fire. You and me and you and you until all all God's people locally and universally are lighting a fire before the world saying we are drawing our hearts, our energies, our minds, our wishes, our wants before you, Lord. We're all saying yes, heal the sick, Provide for the poor. Push back this pandemic. Allow your kingdom to come. Your will to be done in us, through us, and through you, just as it would be in heaven. Isn't this what we are still called to do? We have an ongoing commitment to communion with God and community with one another, even if we're doing it through the phone even if we're doing it in our front yards. Guys, the church has lived through some stuff. And when the stuff hits, they join together and they don't forsake their commitment to communion and community. We need to be thinking about the broader church community. The church that was burned down in Mississippi 
the people struggling, the church of God in Christ that has lost several key members and leaders. I read a news story about that today. We need to be constantly in prayer together, even if we're not face to face. Our souls can be at attention before God together. You see, communion with God fuels community with each other. When we hold our brothers and sisters in our world, in our hearts, in prayer, we are fueling community. It's got to be made and maintained. And we can get some clarity when we sit in stillness together to create space for God and others. That call is still valid. It's what you can do to get enough light for the next step. We see it modeled by those disciples. Let all the frenzy be stilled as the peace of Christ transcends our understanding and guards our hearts and minds when we pray in communion and community. Now, that's our first big idea. We still have an ongoing commitment to communion with God and community. Before I get to our second big idea, let me tell you a story, okay? This week, Amy and I will celebrate 10 years of marriage. 10 years ago, I moved into the apartment that she was renting at the time, and we bought two cheapo bookshelves. The exact same bookshelf, something from Walmart, you know, the particle board stuff that comes in a box and you've got to assemble it together. So we had the bright idea of assembling it at 1130 at night. So you know we're already off to a bad start. <laughs> we open up the box, we start to put the pieces together, and then we're left with two shelves. And we're looking at this bookshelf that we had assembled. We had put this shelf here and that shelf there, and now we're holding two more. And we're looking at the screws. I'm holding an Allen wrench, yet my shelves have no holes drilled into it. No pre-drilled holes on the two shelves we're holding. So now it's like midnight. I'm looking at what we've already assembled, and I'm holding these two, wondering how the pieces are going to fit when I don't have pre-drilled holes. Now, remember, this is right after our wedding. We're moving in, which means we're surrounded by wedding gifts, right? So one of the wedding gifts we had was an electric drill set. So at midnight, I'm looking at two shelves without holes, and I'm thinking, here's an excuse to use my new wedding gift. So I go grab that drill, I grab my cheapo particle board, Amy measures out where the holes should be, and I take my electric drill and drill three holes in each of these shelves. Nothing could go wrong, right? Surely this is what they meant, right? Wrong. We are shoving those things in, trying to make it work. The thing is wobbly and struggling, and we say, well, it's 12.30 at the middle of the night. Let's do the next one. So Amy opens up the next box, and she starts to put the shelves out on the ground. This time, she has seen me butcher that one bookshelf, so she's going to grab the instructions and superintend this one to make sure we wind up a little bit better, right? So she opens up the instruction manual, 
and reads something to this effect. Find the two shelves with the pre-drilled holes and set them aside. And she looks at me with a look that I will come to know very well over the next 10 years. And it's that wonderful look of, I love you, but I told you so. And we begin to realize how important it is <laughs> to know what's been written before you write the next chapter. You with me on this? In our series so far in the book of Acts, I keep talking about how we're invited into the story. But if you want enough light for the next step, you've got to know what's come before you. So the second big idea I'll reiterate is this. Know what's been written before you write your next chapter. What's remarkable about our story here is that after communion and community, after this stillness and discernment, then and only then does Peter have the clarity to stand up and say, hey, there's 120 of us, which is an interesting note. Because in the first century, in the Jewish tradition, in the synagogue system, you had the big temple in Jerusalem, and all the outlying posts were like these satellite groups that would look a lot like our current churches, where they would be, uh, there would be teaching, there would be prayer, there would be the religious life in these smaller scale synagogues. If you wanted to be your own synagogue, with your own council, self-governed, you needed 120 people, men on the roster. Luke gives us a tidbit to say this community, this boundary-breaking community, as I mentioned earlier, has the raw material to sort out their next chapter. And so Peter, after all this communion and community, stands up and he begins to talk about how we need to reinstate our 12. You remember the 12 disciples? We just read the list of 11. Judas went out, betrayed Jesus, hanged himself. They needed one more. Peter, listen to this, knew the story of God. He knew that God had installed 12 tribes of his people Israel. Generations Years before Peter was born, he knew that story. He begins to follow Jesus with 11 others. There's 12 following Jesus as a renewed, restored, revolutionary Israel. Now, if God installed 12 tribes, if Jesus installed 12 apostles, disciples, it's Peter and the community's job with God to install the next one. But they knew that there had been a lot more said and spoken and lived in their story before they ever showed up to it. So Peter quotes the story, the story of the Psalms, and is bold enough to say, generations ago, 
in Scripture. David wrote this psalm and that psalm, and he was talking about our story in the present tense right now. Can you believe this? He's saying that was then, but we know enough of the story, enough of the chapter, that we can see the precedent for our now. This is basically what we are doing in some sense, isn't it? We're going back to the story of Scripture, and we're looking in our time, in our situation, in your time, in your life, and we're looking at the precedent of the story that came before so that when we write the next chapter, we don't get off on the wrong foot and go off in some wild direction because we've sat in communion and community, to know what's come before enough so that we can write the next chapter. Even if it looks different than what's come before, there's enough precedent and similarity that we can go confidently in partnership with God to continue the story. Can you see how bold and radical and wild and dangerous this is? which is why they had to know the story. It's why you've got to know the story of Jesus before you go out and act and work in his name. You understand that their being with Jesus preceded their doing. We say a disciple is, as Dallas Willard put it, to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to live like Jesus. But guess what? Jesus never taught elementary school in Texas in 2020. He does to the degree to which he does it through you as you are with him to learn from him how to do your job in your moment, in your life, in your story. But don't go out there unless you've read up on the scripture and the story of God. In our website, in our resources page where you can find sermons. You can also scroll down and find um, some prayer guides. You can also find some scripture guides. You want to read the Psalms that Peter was quoting? You can do that. You can check it off. You can do it with someone else. You can read the story of Jesus with a Bible reading plan. Right now is a moment where you can create space to learn the story. I can't do it for you, but we can do it together. I'm so encouraged by the women in our church that are doing a Bible study currently, and I'm hearing feedback about how it's so good to get back into the story of God in the scripture. Guys, hold on. Your turn is coming up next. We are people of the story, and that before we write our chapters, we've got to know what's come before. You've got to know it before you can own it. And remember that whole Judas thing that we read about? Remember that whole Judas thing that Peter and those others lived? This was fresh in their minds and experience, but after sitting, they had enough light to recognize this. Yeah, that ugly part of the story is still included in the story. God doesn't just delete it. It's still included. Yeah, that hard part of the story, that betrayal, that unimaginable pain, actually, it didn't stop God's work, did it? Yeah, that painful 
bit was still swept up into God's story of restoration. These chapters in your story that are ugly are still included. These chapters of your story that are hard, what life throws at you, still won't thwart the story that God is writing in your life. And ultimately, even those painful points will be swept up into a broader story that God is telling that involves the remaking and renewal of all things. Even what's ugly, hard, and painful isn't the final chapter as we continue to write ours in the power and presence of God. But we've got to know what's been written before we write our next chapter. Now, wherever you are in your story now, know that it's going to have a great ending, even if you can't see it. Wherever you are in your story, you may feel like the pause button's been hit on your life, that you are of no consequence, your story doesn't matter. Let me tell you, it matters. And here's how I know it. In this example, our third and final piece of the puzzle involves a guy named Joseph that doesn't get picked and a guy named Matthias that does get picked. But we don't hear a whole lot of their story or really any of their story going forward. But I'm here to tell you in that time, in that place, today, what they did as their part of the story mattered. And I'm confident that they did what they could do with enough light for the next step. Our third and final big picture idea is this. Do what you can and let God do what you can't. Now, there's a handful of our neighborhood church folk that didn't write that down because they've heard it. I hope you didn't write it down because you've memorized it. I want to remind you of it. That you can't do it all, but there's always something to be done. Their being preceded their doing. Their discerning work came from a place of stillness and clarity, not busyness and frenzy. And even though the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet, and even though they hadn't gone out to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth yet, there was still something to be done in that moment, and they did it. Do what you can and let God do what you can't. I get that you don't always have the luxury for stillness and reflection and contemplation. That's why I started with that quote from Mr. Rogers. Remember what he said? He said, to, um, Doing what we can with what we have is the most we should expect of ourselves or anyone else. They did what they could with what they had. And what they had was the ancient practice of casting lots. Some of you are saying, finally, he's talking about that whole casting lots business. What's up with that? It's stones or sticks that had markings on it. And this is an ancient practice that was never condemned in the Old Testament. It just wasn't necessary from this point on. Why? Because they have the Holy Spirit from that point forward to help them discern the next right step. But before that moment, they had lots. And there is a proverb, Proverbs 16.33, that says, We cast the lots in our lap, but God decides the outcome. 
It was this sense of participation in doing what they could, cast the lots, but trust that God is ultimately overseeing the decision. We've got two guys nominated that had been with Jesus from the beginning. We had two guys that had seen the risen Jesus. We've got two guys that are great dudes, I'm sure of it, but only one got chosen. They did the best with what they had. Soon the Spirit of God would come, so we need not cast lots. That's why we don't have any record of the early church continuing to throw dice to discern God's will. God gave us a community and the Holy Spirit to discern what was next. But they did what they could with what they had. So, they knew enough to do enough for the next step. Just to recap where we've been from this example of these first followers of Jesus. We need to have an ongoing commitment to communion and community. We need to know what's been written before you write the next chapter. And we need to do what we can and let God do what we can't. I want to close with this final thought. What happened to Joseph called Justice? What happened with him? Do you think that he just said, that's it, I'm not needed. If they don't need me as an apostle, Jesus must not need me in this story. Forget it. Now, we can't know for sure, but I'm confident that if he was with Jesus, had been nominated by these guys, I'm sure he had a great heart and great things to contribute, even if we don't hear from him in the story. I want to remind you that in the pause button, of this pandemic that you feel in your life, even though the next few pages are unwritten and uncertain, even though you might feel like a Joseph that was not picked for this or that or the other, know that there is still an invitation right now in this moment to do the next step. You know enough to get enough light for the next step. As long as you're committed to communion and community, if you know the story as you go out and write your own, even if like Joseph or Matthias, we don't hear a whole lot of it, know that Jesus is with you, that he sees you, and that your story matters. And there's always a next step to take toward him and others. So, can we pray and we'll allow you to go and sit and be before you get out and do in whatever that looks like for your story and mine. Let's pray together. Father, we invite you to rekindle our passion for the story set before us. Would you remind us that the adventure is still beckoning to us, that the person of Jesus is still compelling us and inviting us to come to him, that the Holy Spirit of God has come and he is with us, he's uniting us, he's calling us, he's empowering us to do the next right thing. So we pray, Lord, that we would be committed to communion with you and with one another. 
We pray that we would get into the story, that rather the story would get into us and our bones so that we could live it faithfully in this, the next chapter. We pray, Lord, that the next chapter would bring blessing and peace and protection for those who are going in and out of hospitals, those even in our community that we know of the neighborhood church going in and out of those places. We pray your blessing and protection on them in this next chapter. We pray, Lord, that you would stir us up to be at attention before you and with one another to pray and ask for your kingdom, your fire, to come and renew the world in our neighborhood. Lord, we ask that you would give us the next steps and that we would see enough light to follow where you are leading as we go together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your attention. Would you be blessed and kept in the strong name of Jesus this week? Amen.